The Navy is picking the vendors who will operate its networks over the next several years under the next iteration of the multi-billion dollar NGEN contract. But beyond the traditional contracting process, the service is also planning to use other transactional agreements to chart the future of its networks and inject more innovation. Federal News Network's Jared Serbu writes about these upcoming OTAs and the impact they might have in this week's edition of the DOD Reporter's Notebook. And Jared joins me now. All right, so tell us what the Navy's trying to do, first of all, with its networks, and then we can get into how it's going to get there. Well, the, those NGEN contracts that you mentioned, the Navy's been talking for a long time about how those would set the stage for, uh, you know, a gradual migration to cloud because they're really going to start changing the infrastructure that's made up Navy networks since the early 2000s so that they're they're more conducive to that sort of service delivery model. But beyond that, what these OTAs are going to do, hopefully, and again, these are going to be just prototypes in the early stages, is enable, you know, an extension of that concept that they're calling modern service delivery. And really, the core of it is that... You know, the vision is that they want their employees, their sailors to be able to access basically the same IT services, whether they are on base and physically connected to the Navy Marine Corps intranet or whether they happen to be somewhere at home working on their mobile device, um, be able to get get access to basically the, the exact same IT resources. And that really changes the entire security paradigm. It's no longer the idea of once you are in, you're in, you know, once you're physically connected to a Navy network, you have access to everything. It's getting back to this concept that's been talked about for years, role-based access, con- access control. So it doesn't matter if you're on base, it doesn't matter if you're off base, you have access to the resources that that you as, as a persona should have entitlement to, uh, to get access to. And that's really what these three OTAs that they're going to release next week are going to start getting after, this concept of modern service delivery and location agnostic access to, to IT systems. So that sounds like they've got to then look at the network's security from a data standpoint, and they also have to learn how to manage identities because they could be coming from any vector, and the identity goes with the person and not with the network. That's right. And it also obviously suggests that they're going to need to do something beyond the ubiquitous common access card that DOD has been using for more than a decade to, to give access to basically all of its IT resources. And the Navy has started to make some steps in that direction. It's just started piloting um, commercial multi-factor authentication for one of its for one of its apps that gives sailors access to their own personnel records. But the, the the idea is to start expanding that a lot more. And that's exactly what the first one of these three OTAs is going to do. They're going to ask industry to provide what they call a comprehensive suite of identity management technologies. And, you know, depending on what they get back, ostensibly that would be used both on base and off base. You would, you would have at least some member of that family of technologies in operation, whether you're, you know, whether you're sitting at an NMCI terminal or whether you're on your mobile device. And it goes back to that idea we talked about before. They're saying that the new boundary is going to be around identity. It's at the core of everything that they're doing uh, going forward rather than, uh, you know, physical, uh, you know, a physical paradigm of security or a physically connected paradigm of security. Um, they, they think that that's also going to get them to the point where they can start to collapse a lot of the, as they call them, IT silos into a, a more coherent structure that that will be easier to move into the cloud because a lot of these IT services that have grown up in the Navy or, or through the years have brought along their own sign-on capabilities and identity management services. And once you have, once you have a, you know, at least a family of technologies that can span across all of those systems, it, it obviously makes that transition a lot easier. 
We're speaking with Federal News Network's Jared Serbu, and you also write that they are going to try to get to a virtualization of their networks, which would seem to mitigate in favor of much more portability when it comes to cloud deployments. Yeah, that's right. And that's that's the second of the problem statements that we expect to see next week. It's it's what they're calling network as a service, not a Navy term, obviously. It's something that's that's increasingly used in industry, too. But, you know, to, to simplify it a little bit, the idea is that for someone who is working from off a Navy base, who's teleworking or something like that, rather than just giving them access via a secure tunnel into the Navy's networks, you want you want a network structure that is, as you said, virtualized. So if a lot of these IT resources are going to be in a commercial cloud, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to tunnel into a Navy network so that you can then tunnel back out into a commercial cloud. You want a virtualized network structure that gives you access to whatever resources you might need that might be behind the NMCI firewall and the, a direct pathway out to the commercial cloud. And that obviously gets a little bit complicated, but uh, industry has moved a long way in providing that concept of of, of network as a service in recent years. And they think it makes a lot of sense because a lot of the business systems that that are going to probably comprise a lot of the, the use cases for a lot of these off-base users, like the Navy's enterprise resource planning system, like a lot of the personnel databases, have already started tr- to transition to the commercial cloud. So if that's the case, it doesn't make, make a whole lot of sense to, as I said, focus on just giving people access into the Navy's internal networks. You need something a lot more robust. Now, how does this all square with the JEDI contract and the DOD's recently released cloud strategy, which didn't seem to mitigate in favor of a whole bunch of commercial clouds by all of the armed services. Yeah, that's right. It, it, it does put the Navy in a little bit of a bind because they want to start moving a lot of this stuff to cloud. DOD has said, this is the this is the destination for everything we're doing in cloud, but Jedi doesn't exist yet. So I think the only thing that they've concluded they can do right now is start to do a lot of these large-scale cloud migrations and move these legacy applications into uh, cloud services that they are contracting for on their own through a through a Navy Enterprise cloud contract. And then whatever Jedi is going to be, once it's up and running, whenever that is, they will then transition those applications from uh, the, you know, the clouds that they're standing up right now into Jedi whenever whenever that does exist. Obviously, that takes you through a two-step migration, which is more complicated potentially than than just moving a legacy system to a cloud and, and calling it one and done. But you know, on the other hand, it's obviously easier to migrate from a cloud service to a cloud service in most cases than to do a legacy migration into a cloud service. I guess cynics could say to the Navy, well, go ahead and use any commercial cloud you want as long as it's Amazon, so it'll be easier to transition to Jedi. But maybe the DoD could surprise everyone and it won't be Amazon. They could surprise. They could surprise people, but I will say that 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 some of what you're you're suggesting is already happening in the Navy. Most of what they're doing right now is through that enterprise cloud uh, blanket purchase agreement that we talked about a little bit earlier. It, it's primarily Amazon Web Services and Microsoft Azure. So, you know, to the extent that. Uh, you know, assuming one of those vendors is the winner that could smooth the way for an eventual transition to Jedi uh, down the road. And why is the Navy using OTA for this particular set of acquisitions? It's a good question. Um, th- this is really an extension of something they started back in 2005 when they stood up this idea of, of an innovation cell within the program executive office for enterprise information systems. And the goal of the innovation cell all along has been to go out to 
non-traditional vendors to try and get uh, prototype projects stood up relatively quickly to try and figure out what kind of technologies are candidates for broader adoption across Navy networks. It has not gone terribly well so far. They have not, there's not been a lot of uptake of innovative technologies on a large scale so far. And I think part of the reason that they think that that's happened is they've lacked contracting vehicles that could move, uh, you know, kind of at the pace of their ambitions. And I think the thinking now is OTAs might be the way to do that. And they've got a giant OTA vehicle called the Information Warfare Research Project that was just stood up by Space and Naval Warfare Systems Command last year that, that seems to be uh, you know, purely ripe for that. It's designed entirely for IT information warfare, cyber projects, and it's it's just sitting there waiting for folks to use it. So I think they feel like this is a good candidate for it. Federal News Network's Jared Serbu, thanks so much. Thanks, Tom. Check out his notebook at federalnewsnetwork.com.